Well, great to be with you folks. Nice to see you all. Uh, and it's a joy to spend the day actually going through the different services and, uh, and meeting, meeting you all and seeing your faces. Uh, Lincoln, where's Lincoln? I, 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 I was going to the toilet and I, I saw a guy, a tall guy behind me with fair hair and said, hi Andy. And I realized Andy's got a double gang. Now I look at you, you don't look just like Andy, but uh, nice to see you, Lincoln. Um, it, it, what a joy and honor to be here. My, my, my journey is I, I got saved when I was 15 years old. I grew up, I was taken to church every Sunday by my parents in a Presbyterian uh, church background. And I guess it, it clicked for me when two of my mates had a big turnaround experience. They put their trust in Jesus and their lives were different. And I could see it, it was tangible. I'd seen what they'd been like before Christ and I could see the difference now. And I remember round about that time, there was an evening where I just made a decision. Having spent time with my friends, I decided in a little lane at the back of my house, I stood there and I prayed a prayer and I said, Jesus, from now on, I'm gonna follow you. I repent, turn from my sins, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And, and that was the, the turning point for me. Um, and by the way, I, I don't know you all, but maybe, maybe someone here today, maybe that's the decision you need to make. Turn, turn your life over to God. The greatest decision you could ever make, not just in this life, but in eternity. And so, so having done that, I remember the first time I got an opportunity to preach was when I was 17. And the theme I've been asked to speak on today, which is the spirit and unity actually was the theme that I preached on the very first time I ever preached. I preached from Psalm 133, which, which is that famous psalm which talks about how good and how pleasant it is where brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. So here we are now speaking on that today. And I've had the joy over the last four years, four years ago, a group of us in the city decided we really believe in the importance of unity. So we decided as pastors, let's us meet every week without fail, to pray in unity for God to do something in Edinburgh, Lothians, and Fife. So we started that four years ago, and it's just been like a snowball. It's been gathering momentum. So Andy's there on a regular basis, uh, guys from P's and G's. We've got about 120 or so pastors from all across Edinburgh, Lothians, and Fife connecting with a typical weekly attendance of between 25 and 40 pastors every week praying in unity, evangelical churches, praying in unity for the kingdom of God to come. Everything from Charlotte Chapel, P's and G's, the Redeemed Church guys, Edinburgh Elam, you guys were praying and calling God in unity. Isn't that exciting? Because when we see that sort of thing happening, I think there's an undercurrent there that prepares the way for the Lord to do something in our generation. So let me talk to you about the foundation of, of unity. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm just going to work my way through the verses. I'll sh share a few verses, say a few things, then come back to the text as we go, if that's okay. If it's not okay, tough, that's what I'm doing. So, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 13. Uh, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were given one, uh, given one spirit to drink. Here the Bible teaches us that God did something in your life. God got a hold of you, and he moved you into this thing called the church. You didn't choose the church. God saved you and 
instantly at that point, you became part of this great movement called the body of Christ. It's a work of the Spirit. God's done it in your soul. Point number one is we're united by God. It's a work of God. And notice this unity goes beyond our ethnicity. It says whether Jews or Gentiles. And it goes beyond your social backgrounds, whether slave or free. So no matter what your ethnicity, my relationship with you in Jesus trumps my instant affiliation with people of my own nationality. And whatever your social background, if you've come from a lower kind of working class background or upper class background, it doesn't matter. My relationship with you in Jesus trumps my social status and your social status. Our connection there means more to me and more, more to us than anything else. That's what God has, has done among us. In the Bible, there's a word that's used to describe this kind of relationship, and it's the word fellowship. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, it says they devoted themselves to fellowship. And it's a Greek word. Um, it's a Greek word. Can anyone guess what the Greek word for fellowship is? I, I, I'm, no, I'm just guessing. I heard you guys are pretty hot on your Greek, so come on. Anyone want to give a guess? Koinonia. Fantastic. I just chose a person at random and instantly know the Greek New Testament. I love it. This, you told me they were this good, did they? Koinonia means something shared. Something shared. Uh, and it's, okay, let me give you an illustration. It's, have you ever seen a, like a field of sunflowers? And you notice no matter what time of day it is, the sunflower heads are facing the sun. In fact, if you've seen a speeded up film clip, you actually watch them. They're all like this. They're all, they kind of follow the sun path from rising to the setting of the sun. Incredible. They move in unison. And they're not moving in unison because one sunflower's looking at the other guy. What's he doing? All right, he's doing this. I'll do what he's doing. No, he's, they're not looking at each other. They're moving in unison because their eyes are on the sun. And this is what koinonia means, fellowship, something shared. We shared Jesus. That trumps everything else we share. I mean, we could have hobbies in common. We could have ethnicities in common. But the one that trumps all is we have a relationship with a savior who's rescued our soul. And because of this, our eyes are on him. And because our eyes are on him, by default, we are instantly in sync and in unison with each other. Way back in 2003, there was an ABC News report and a drug dealer's um, <clears throat> house had been raided. And this drug dealer had three large trophy animal pets, like big wild animals, as pets. And uh, th th these, there's, a, there's a lion, a Bengal tiger, and a black bear that had been kept as pets in this drug dealer's house. And so, as well as raiding the guy's house, they rescued these animals and they brought them to an animal sanctuary called Noah's Ark Animal Sanctuary in Georgia, where they had these animals there. And the, and the animals had been totally neglected. The bear, for example, the chain around the bear's neck hadn't really been lengthened as the bear grew, so it kind of cut into the skin. It had to be surgically removed. And initially, when they came to the Noah's Ark Animal Sanctuary, they put them into separate cages. I would do the same, right? Yeah, put those guys together. They put them into separate cages and or separate enclosures, but they really weren't doing that well. So they made the tough call and said, let's risk it. Let's put them in the same big enclosure together. And it's like they came alive. They started running around chasing each other. They became like kids again, and they were just full of joy. And over the years, they've enjoyed this companionship. And, the, the, and the, one of the workers, Alison, he, he, Alison Hethcott, who works for the animal sanctuary, said this, they live together and they don't see their differences. 
And what they have is a shared experience. They were all rescued from a drug dealer and they've had this shared experience and that's their, I mean, in every other way, they're very different. But the reality is, if you look at our Christianity, we've been rescued. You were rescued from Satan's power when you trusted in Jesus' death and resurrection. You're rescued from sin's power. You're rescued even from death the moment you trusted in Jesus as your savior. We have a common rescue. And so now we have this fellowship with each other that goes deeper than anything else because we've been rescued and that's the foundation of our unity. And again, let me say, if, if today you need rescued, if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, he can rescue your soul by simply you calling out to him as your savior today. And I'll give you an opportunity to do that just at the end of this message. The problem comes when we unify around secondary things, when we start trying to rally around secondary things rather than Jesus himself. In fact, Paul early on in Corinthians, he challenges them in this, 1 Corinthians 1 verses 12 to 13. Paul challenges them on their disunity in this church. And he says, one says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? What was happening in the church here, this church in Corinth had had some big personalities come through the church. Some big, very gifted leaders, very like central. You folks over the years and currently have incredibly gifted leaders. And, and the, the danger with gifted leaders is you start thinking your unity comes around those gifted leaders. Oh, I, I follow Jeremy, or I follow Odell, or I follow Carl. Or, and, and so all of a sudden you find unity around the wrong things. But Paul's making the point that beyond the personality of any leaders, you follow Jesus. And that's your success. And that's your strength. It's essential, church. You follow Jesus. This is the basis why you are united. I remember our first ever carol service in Edinburgh. So we'd started in our flat at Haymarket, the church. And after a couple of years, we grew to about 15, 20 people. And we actually moved into Tollcross Primary, literally. Throw a stone right there. And uh, our first carol service, I remember it for many reasons. Uh, one, one of them was a good reason. You know, there was some new people there. But every other reason was a bad reason. <laughs> so here's a picture of our carol service. And, and what I remember is the the violin and the flute player had, they'd obviously not tuned in using the same tuning fork. One had tuned into the piano and the other had tuned into the guitar and they hadn't coordinated this. So they were literally, it was like they were playing totally different tunes. And I just thought so many times through, I thought, just, just call it quits. Just, just stop right there and do a tune or something. But they just, they kept on mucking through. They, they made it all, they persevered, good on them. Good Christian characteristic. But they, but if only they'd used the same tuning fork, but instead they tuned into each other. And that's where things go wrong, folks. When we start, look, we start trying to find a base of unity by looking at each other, but actually it's not. Because actually when we look at each other, we're, we're broken human beings. And what we need to find is the basis of our unity is Jesus Christ, our savior. So let's go back to the verses, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 17 onwards. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But the fact that God has placed the parts in the body, each one of them, just as he wanted them to be, 
As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hands, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. And point number two is this. We don't complete. Sorry, we complete. We don't compete. Now you try and say that fast. <laughs> I can't even say it myself. I've got it written down. We complete. We don't compete. Repeat it after me. We complete. We don't compete. Now say it really fast. No, don't. I don't. We complete each other. We don't compete. And this is what Paul's describing in the body, that it was not a competition among the members of our own body. Otherwise, we would be haywire. My friend James, a number of years ago, we sent a couple from Edinburgh to plant a church in Hong Kong. And so, and we've continued to work with them over the years. James, uh, we, we, we messaged backwards and forwards, and we've, we, we were great friends. He asked me this question. This is a, I'll read you out a WhatsApp message he asked me. Because what they do in Hong Kong is they, the, the way their church operates is they have lots of house churches. And once a month they gather for their big gathering. But every other week, weekly, they're in house churches. That's how they function. And he said this. He asked me, have I ever, Pete, have you ever seen people coming to a place where they really do life as church? I mean, really do life as one body, total unity, really loving each other, pouring themselves out for each other. Not just on occasions, but consistently. Uh, I ask that because I have a number of situations at the moment, pastoral situations, that because we're in smaller groups, there are kind of pastoral issues become much more evident. You can hide in a big church and avoid people you don't like, whereas here, people just make the excuse and stop coming to the group. And he was asking me, Pete, is, this just, is, is there anywhere on earth where you don't have people falling out with each other. And I, I, I reflected on it. And actually, my comment to James was, because he was talking about the, this beautiful New Testament, almost this ideal in the New Testament. And I, if you think about it, the more like the New Testament you are, actually, the more friction you're going to experience. <laughs> because, yeah, if you are part of a big crowd and don't really know people, then you can have the impression that there's unity. But actually, if you really start getting to know each other, and we are all sinners, right? Then you're going to start getting offended by people. You're going to get wound up the wrong way. <laughs> There's going to be stuff, right? That's a fact. But that's what you get if you want to really get to know each other. That's what you get if you really want to do church New Testament style. You get more problems. So bring it on, I say. Because that's, you see, so in the book of Acts, you see Acts chapter 2, the early church's birth on the day of Pentecost. And it's got this amazing description of community. They devoted themselves to one another. They, they sold their possessions and goods and shared with anyone who had need. It's an incredible, beautiful description of community. But you follow on a few chapters, Acts 6, there becomes tensions, racial tensions, between the, the Greek-speaking widows and the Hebraic-speaking widows. A few chapters later, there become theological tensions, where some people want to hold on ardently to the Jewish traditions and laws where others believe that's no longer part of the new covenant. And then this fracture between Paul and Barnabas, they go their separate ways, the great leaders. You think, wow, this is the reality. Someone once said, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be a glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, that's a different story. The, the German philosopher Schopenhauer, he was absolutely right. He compared humans to porcupines or hedgehogs huddling together on a cold winter's night. He said, the colder it gets outside, the more we huddle 
together for warmth. But the closer we get to one another, the more we hurt one another with our sharp quills. We need each other, but we needle each other. Prod someone beside you and say, go on, prod someone beside you and say, we needle each other. There we go. Hopefully you've trimmed your fingernails. See, the, the only reason you can, can come, become disillusioned with unity in the church is you have an illusion in the first place. You somehow think that this church is going to be different. In fact, the only reason you haven't been offended at Central is very simply because you haven't been around long enough. Just give it a few more weeks. I can guarantee you. In fact, I guarantee you, it will happen. So don't have an illusion it won't happen. It totally will happen. Um, someone's, you've probably heard this, people say, ah, oh, but the church has hurt me. It's full of hypocrites. And absolutely right. The church is full of hypocrites. I mean, <laughs> look at you, right? But don't condemn what Jesus doesn't condemn. Jesus died to justify us. Don't pull down what Jesus died, said, I will build my church. Love what God loves. And don't quit on what God won't quit on. You see, you have car trouble, you don't stop driving. If you have a leaky roof, you don't abandon your house. So the church has got people in it. Yeah, you're there, I'm there, we're not perfect. Of course, you're going to get hurt. But the world is also full of hypocrites. So where are you going to go? Some people say, oh, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. Anyone heard that? I love Jesus, just don't like the church. Now, Jesus calls the church his body. He calls the church his bride. I don't know about you. If I turned to my wife and said, honey, I love your head. I just don't like your body. Ah, that's not going to go down well. That's so not going to go down well. It's like saying, Jesus, Jesus, you're great. I just don't like your, the body of Christ. You think, no, you can't separate. So if you love Jesus, you love the church. In fact, have a very high view of the church. Remember Saul who became Paul on the Damascus Road, his first encounter with Jesus, the first words he heard out of Jesus' mouth was, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And you're like, wow, look how personally Jesus takes the church. You touch the church, you're touching me. And then on the flip side, in that famous parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus describes how the king will answer and say to them, Matthew 25, truly I say to you, to the extent you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So you bless the church, you bless Jesus. Pick up the phone and say, hey, I've missed you. You're doing all right. You did that for Jesus. Made that bowl of soup when they weren't feeling so well and you turned up with a bowl of soup. Did that for Jesus. You bitched about the church. You hurt Jesus. You hurt the church, you hurt Jesus. You love the church. You're blessing Jesus. So you get to worship by loving people. He takes it really personally. And when you see that, you think, wow. This thing about, oh, I love Jesus, just don't like the church. No, you don't understand. You can't separate the two. Some people say, oh, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church. Okay, well, technically, technically, you can be a Christian without going to church, technically. But you can't live the Christian life without the local church. It's called being sanctified. There's a journey that God wants to do in your soul that can only be accomplished in community. There's a transformation that happens when you're around people, even people that wind you up. That's part of God's process. We need each other, but we need each other. 
And sometimes it's in the winding up from another person or the different personality clashes or that moment where you could have been offended but you didn't, where you change and you become more like Jesus. And God uses the community to change you to be more like Jesus. And outside of community, there's a whole journey of change that you'll never experience sitting in your home on your sofa reading your Bible. You need that, but you need community. There are 59 one another's you can't live if you're not in community. Love one another, be at peace with one another, wash one another's feet, honor one another, stop passing judgment on one another, serve one another in love. All these one another's you cannot do unless you're in community. So throw yourself into this thing called the church, this gritty community of imperfect people where you're bound to be offended, but that's the point. God's gonna use it to change you. In Paul's day, Paul started the letter to the Corinthians by saying, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, to the church in Corinth. Now, if he was writing today and said to the church in Edinburgh, what would we say? We'd say, which one? <laughs> right? We'd say, what one? And the problem we've got today is that many people are consumeristic in their view. We treat churches like restaurants. So we don't get service, good service at this restaurant. Oh, well, we'll not go back to that restaurant. We'll go to another restaurant. We're consumers. We look for the best service. And so people hop from church to church. And sometimes moving church is okay, but don't let that be your life. Imagine you, you had a, 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 pl a plant that you planted in your garden and every few months you just, oh, I don't like it, I'll move it to another bit of soil. If it kept moving, it would never become that flourishing plant that it was intended to be. And so also with a believer. It says in Psalm 92, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age and they will stay fresh and green. The picture here is of someone who's saying, I'm planted in the house of the Lord, you're established. And there's a long-termness to it. And there's a fruitfulness that comes from that. And it's going through the seasons. You know that when you cut a tree right through the middle, you see the rings, which describes the age of the tree. In fact, as you see those rings, you can actually tell how each year went. The rings that are closer together, it infers, okay, that was a tough year, maybe it's a year of drought, didn't grow so fast. The rings that are further apart, that was a year of great growth. And so also your life, you think, oh, well, that was the year, that year I was seriously offended in church. I did so much and no one acknowledged what I did. And then this year here, we, me and my wife, we went through a marriage crisis, but the pastors helped us and we hung in there. And that year, well, things so unsettled me in the church, but I chose to stay anyway, and I stayed. And then that year, well, that was a year for 20 years I've been praying for my three friends, and that year they came to faith. And then this year over here, that year the ministry that God had put in my heart to start went to a whole new level that year. Look at that. And folks, you'd have never gotten to those later years if you'd quit in the earlier years when the offense came. So perfect community only exists when your eyes are not primarily on each other, but primarily on him, like the sunflowers in the field. And that unison helps us to flow together and he cleanses us and transforms us in the community. Let's go back to the verses, verses 25 to 26. There should be no divisions in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 
Point number three, we mourn and rejoice together. Uh, there was a guy who went to the doctors and he said to the doctor, doctor, I hurt literally all over my body. All of my body's painful. And he said, everything, he said, everything. He said, so touch your forehead. And he went, ah, yeah, my forehead. And I said, and your shoulder? Oh, my shoulder, yeah, my shoulder's poor. And what about your knee? Oh, yeah, my knee's agony, absolute agony. And your ear? Oh, yeah, my ear's so sore. And he said, you're an idiot. You've dislocated your finger. That's the problem. You've dislocated your finger is the problem. And sometimes the smallest part of our body can be sore, right? And then we're in agony. Anyone had one of those little bits in the side of your nail? And you, and you think, I'm going to wait until the end of the day. But you can't, you can't stop yourself. You just go for it. Stuff it. And you just pull it out. And you regret it, not just for that day. You regret it for about a week. <laughs> oh, my God, was agony. And it's a tiny part, and yet it affects the whole body. And unity within a congregation isn't passive. It isn't like, well, I don't have a problem with anyone. That's not unity. It's that person over there suffering. So I'm actually going to phone them this week to see how they're doing. It's talking about being really radically proactive. It's when you hear that someone's not around, you haven't seen them for a few weeks, you, you ask them, where's so-and-so? Oh, they've been in hospital. You're kidding me. And instead of thinking, oh, that's the pastor's responsibility to visit them, just say, I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm going to visit them. Rock up at their door. Bring them a meal. Give them a Costa coffee voucher. Bless them. Unity is so proactive and so special at that level, but also at church's level. You know, without going into details, last year was the hardest year of our lives at City on a Hill. In fact, we came into being a City on a Hill. We started the church in 98 in the living room, and it grew to a church of hundreds of people in multiple locations around Edinburgh. We bought two big cinema buildings, and we were called Destiny. But last year, me and my elders and pastors, out of conviction, knew we had to choose a different route. And in doing so, we knew probably everything would be taken. And it was. Our buildings that we bought were taken. It was a really tough time. But at the same time, we operated out of conviction. So all of a sudden, overnight, we became a homeless church, very large. 900 people signed up in our database, a very large homeless church with no buildings and hope. We didn't have a charitable entity. So Central said to us, Pete, here's our venue. You can use that for free. And they said, and by the way, we'll give you a bank account under our umbrella as a charity. And we'll enable you to PVG your kids' workers. Kenny Roy got it all set up for us. And we'll, we'll enable you to do PAYE so you can re-employ your 16 members of staff. Wow. Thank you, Central Church. You have no idea. You have absolutely no idea how grateful my staff team, my church, has been to you folks. That's unity. And then churches all around the city, Charlotte Chapel, P's and G's, Edinburgh, Elam, churches start giving financially. And so in the three months that me and my staff team were all unemployed, lots of young families, mortgages, not one of my staff missed a mortgage payment or a rental payment. Everything was covered. How? It was covered by the giving of churches all around the city. 
That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> I tell, I, honestly, it's utterly, utterly humbling. It says in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And I, and I just encourage a new culture in Scotland where there is a genuine rooting for other churches. Not a competitiveness, not a criticalness, but a rooting for one another. And that's the kind of culture in which I think God will move. Psalm 133 verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. Verse 3, For there the Lord commanded blessing, life forevermore. There's an environment that God pours out blessing on, and it's not perfect environments. But it's despite the grittiness, it's despite the upsets, it's despite the being wound up by sinners like ourselves as we rub shoulders with each other and wind each other up. It's we nevertheless don't quit. And we walk and we journey together and we trust the Lord and our eyes are on Jesus. And through this, blessing come, fruit comes. God commands blessing and he does it in congregations, but he also does it, I, I believe, on entire cities and on regions. The atmosphere has changed and God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit there. I'm going to bring a revival there. And that's what we pray for. All right, let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Oh God, we're so grateful to you for these verses that describe your church like a body. And we're very grateful, God, for a, a Bible that's incredibly honest. The Bible doesn't um, gloss over the realities of community. It actually, the Bible's lots of the letters in the New Testament are spent helping people fix the problems in communities. Because where you get people, you get problems. And Lord, that's why we need you. So Lord, I'm just grateful for Central. Thank you for this precious church. Thank you for this church that has personally blessed the, the congregation that I have the privilege of leading. Thank you for this church that's got a heart for the poorest of the poor in the city, but also has got a heart for the churches. Bless this congregation. I pray you'd command blessing upon this congregation as they go in, as they've come through, everyone's gone through a really hard season with the pandemic. And as they're going into a new season ahead for them as a church, I pray just blessing, blessing, blessing upon them. Let their best days be ahead in Jesus' name. Just in God's presence, take a moment to make your own responses to God. Maybe we've touched on something today and you think, okay, I, I, need, to, I need to pray about that. I need to talk to God about that. If God has spoken to you, take a moment to pray. Talk to God about it just now. While people are praying, let me give you an opportunity today if you haven't yet got a relationship with Jesus. I'm so pleased that you've come today. God really loves you. And you, like us all, are, are, you're a sinner. And Jesus died for sinners and rose again on the third day so that you and I can have a new life. And if that's you today and you're saying, Peter, I really want to know God. I really want my sins forgiven. I want to be a follower of Jesus from now on. Then this moment's for you. Just while everyone else is praying their prayers, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray this prayer with me. Just under your breath, repeat this after me. Oh, dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. 
Jesus, thanks for dying for me on that cross and rising again. Today, I choose to trust in you to be my saviour. I commit my life to you. Jesus, from now on, be Lord of my life. Thanks for hearing my prayer. Amen. Brilliant. It's been great to spend a morning with you folks. Can I just say, if you prayed that prayer today, as I say, I don't know you all, and maybe today, maybe there's one or two of you here, and you said, you just, in that moment, you said yes to Jesus. That is the greatest decision. Could you come and speak to Odell at the end? Or there'll be a prayer ministry team as well. Let someone know you've done that, because they want to give you a Bible if you don't have one, and they'd love to pray for you as you start on this new journey with Jesus. I'm going to hand back to you guys. Thanks so much. God bless.